the story opens with a big bang. Some of you may have just missed it. Some of you were looking down. You see, it opens with a big bang, but not the big bang of the evolutionary theory that we're, our world is so uh, comfortable sharing with us. But it opens with the big bang of the revelation of God, who is the main character of the grand story. You see, the beginning of our journey through the story here in 2015, the beginning of our journey through the Bible, it's a lot like the beginning of an action-packed movie. There's a narrator, then something happens, and if you miss it, if you don't see the first five minutes, you miss what the story's about. You, you don't understand the rest of the story. It's the same thing with the Bible's grand story. The Bible opens with a big bang of creation. And there are a couple of things you need to know about this part of the story. First off, the opening verse, Genesis 1-1, introduces us to the story's main character. In case you missed that, it's God. The story's main character is God. And this big bang, it's, it's not an impersonal accident. It's the creative purpose of a very personal God. And second, the Big Bang of creation is presented poetically and artistically. I want you to look at this real quick for just a moment. The first few days of creation, days one, two, and three, are places created by God. All right? Day one, light and dark. Day two, sky and water. Day three, land. And then days four, five, and six, those places are filled with the things, the places were created for. Let me explain. Day four, the sun and moon and stars. See, they were created for the light and dark. Sun, moon, and stars, light and dark. Day five, birds and sea creatures. All right, sky, water, birds, sea creatures. See the connection? See how that works? Day six, animals and human beings. Now think about that. Think about that whole connection thing. As you listen to this thoughtful um, prose about creation. This poem was written by James Weldon Johnson and published in 1927, The Creation. And God stepped out on space, and he looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. As far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything, blacker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. Then God smiled. And the darkness rolled up on one side and the light stood shining on the other. And God said, that's good. Then God reached out and took the light in his hand and he formed the sun and he set it ablazing in the heaven. And the light that was left from making the sun, God gathered into a shining ball and he flung it against the darkness, spangling the night with the moon and the stars. Then down between the darkness and the light, he hurled the world, and God said, that's good. Then God himself stepped down. The moon was on his left. The sun was on his right. The stars were clustered about his head, and the earth was beneath his feet. And God walked, and where he trod, his footsteps hollowed out the valleys and bulged the mountains up. And then God stopped. And he looked around and said, and saw that the earth was hot and barren. 
So he stepped over to the edge of the world and he spat out the seven seas. He batted his eyes and the lightning flashed. He clapped his hands and the thunder rolled. And the waters above the earth came down. The cooling waters came down. Then the green grass sprouted. And the little red flowers blossomed. The pine tree pointed its finger to the sky. And the oak spread out its mighty arms. The waters cuddled themselves down into the hollows of the ground, and the rivers ran to the sea. And God smiled, and a rainbow appeared and curled itself around his shoulders. Then God raised his arm and waved his hand over the sea and over the land and said, Bring forth, bring forth, and quicker than God could drop his hand, beasts and birds and fishes and fowl roamed the seas and the rivers roamed the forests and the woods and split the air with their wings. And God said, that's good. Then God stopped and he walked around and he looked around on all that he had made. He looked at his sun. He looked at his moon. He looked at the stars and the world with all its living things and God said, I'm lonely still. So on a hill by the banks of a deep, wide river, God sat down. And God thought for a minute. With his head in his hands, he thought and thought until he thought, I'll make me a man. So up from the banks of the river, he scooped the clay, and by the banks, he kneeled him down. And there, this great God Almighty, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the farmost corner of the night, who shaped the earth in his hands. This great God, like a mother bending over her baby, toiled over a lump of clay until he formed it into his own image. And into it, he blew the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Amen. 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 Yeah, follow that. Yeah. It's time for our response. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Lillian. I love that poem. She had shared that with me a while back, and I was like, man, that is perfect for kicking off the story. I love the, the pictures that the author helps me create in my mind about creation and about how from the very thought of man, God loved us. And, and, and this brings us to the next big bang of creation. You see, the author of the poem does such a good job painting this picture of God's core passion. Do you know what God's core passion is? Simply put, it's us. It's, it's human beings. God's core passion is people made in God's image. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and depicted in Adam and Eve. And, and if you have your story Bible with you, it's on page um, 2. Down at the bottom, it says, And then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likenesses, so that they are made, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. You see, all the beauties of creation are secondary 
to you. Think about that for a minute. Uh, This simple truth. It's like the best self-esteem builder. You never have to go to to like a life coach or, or one of those seminars where they're like, be the best you you can be. You don't need that. I just gave it to you. There it is. All the beauties of creation are secondary to you. If you've ever doubted what you are here for, or if you've ever wondered what the value you may have, if you've ever wondered about your self-worth, understand this simple truth. From the very beginning, from the time of creation, God's supreme passion is to be with us at all costs. Oh, it's awesome. When you read through the creation story, it's evident that God wants to be with us. And so the big bang of creation has happened. As that has happened, I'm going to fast forward. Some people chose to believe, well, some people currently today choose to believe that after creation, God just kind of stepped back and said, okay, little world, spin and have fun. Some people choose to believe that, that God created the heavens and the earth, and then after, after he did all of that, he, he created man and woman to be like little robots, uh, basically that, that we're to serve him and we don't have a choice in the matter. Uh, but he didn't do that either. You see, the reality is that's not how it happened. Not only did God create the heavens and the earth and man and woman, but he shared with them. Scripture talks about that he walked with them. He talked with them. He gave them free will. And as you continue reading in the story, you will see that the Bible story continues with another big bang. I call this big bang the the fall. Adam and Eve's rebellion. Uh, Like I said a minute ago, they they were created with freedom, with power to choose Our God does not force love on himself or service to himself. That's not what he does. But I think to better understand the big bang of the fall, I think we need to also understand what I like to call the tale of two trees. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They present a choice. I want to look, it's going to be Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, and then verses 15 through 17. And again, if you've got uh, your storybook, excuse me, if you've got the story with you, it should be at the bottom of page 3. And it starts out like this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're going to skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from that, from when you eat for it, you will certainly die. Wow. Big bang number two. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They ate from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God's vision to be with people was ruined. We messed it up. It's ironic for me when I think about the one gift he gives us from the beginning, which is freedom, free will. He gives us freedom from the beginning. It's the one gift that's going to end up costing him the most later. He he could have created us to be mindless followers of him, little God-serving humanoid drones. He could have done that, that just worship him and serve and give, and and they do it without grumbling or complaining uh, like we sometimes do. He, He could have created us that way. And the thing is, we would have never known the difference because he would have created us that way. But he didn't. He gave us free will. If he wanted mindless followers, he could have stopped at the animals. I mean, right? Feed them once, they'll follow you anywhere. 
He didn't need us if that's what he wanted. He'd already done that. But he's not about mindless followers. He's about loving his creation. He's about having a relationship with us. No matter what you've done or where you've been. And in case you're wondering just how much God loves you after the big bang of Adam and Eve committing the first sin, the rest of the Bible, it's about God's pursuit to get us back. That makes it an amazing story. The Bible story reports this big bang of sin's damage to the human race. Uh, Here's something I don't want you to miss. Because Adam and Eve chose a different vision than God's vision. Sin and imperfection became part of the world. And Adam and Eve produced more sinners. Okay? Because their sons had free will. And their kids had free will. And, and, but because they brought it in, Genesis chapters 4 through 9 present to us this, and I can't read it all to you. Hopefully you'll read it this week. See what I did there? All right. Genesis 4 through 9 presents sin entering and taking over the human race. And it's ugly. And when God goes through this, it, God has given mankind a choice. And some choose to be less than average, while others chose to be righteous. And because, of, because Noah was righteous, the Bible tells us that God chooses him to build the ark. And God does a do-over of the human race after the judgment of the floodwaters. The flood erased the wicked human race, but unfortunately it didn't erase the sin that entered the world. And even Noah's family made some mistakes. In Genesis chapter 9, 18 through 29, the sons of Noah, I'm going to read this to you. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. They walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father naked. And when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise to be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. He lived a total of 950 years and then he died. Now, why would I share this part of the story with you? There are a couple of things I want you to understand. First off, one is, is there's this example of a righteous man, Noah, who allowed the product of his labor to get the best of him. He was a man of the soil. He grew a vineyard. Nothing wrong with that. And he had some of the wine that he grew, that he produced from his vineyard. And he became drunk and fell asleep, passed out, naked. Ham saw his father naked and told his brothers. Now, there are some people who think that Ham may have physically done some inappropriate things to his father because the Bible says when Noah awoke and found out what his youngest son had done to him, that he cursed him as a slave to his brothers. But really what Ham had done was he made fun of his father. He mocked him. He mocked the, the patriarch. He mocked someone who just was known as righteous in God's eyes, who, who, who was the, the reason for coming through the flood, saving his family, and Ham mocked his father. I want to encourage you, as we read through the story this year, let's not get caught up in what-ifs. Let's not, let's not do that to ourselves. Let's stay focused here because we want to be students of the Word. And we want to glean from it. And here's what you need to learn from this family, this first family, if you will, after the flood. Fathers and mothers, 
Be careful what you do. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you treat one another, even in front of your adult children. I don't think that Adam and Eve, while they were living in the Garden of Eden, walking around holding hands before the sin, I don't think they were, as they were talking about the future, I don't think they ever were walking around, they ever said something like, over there would be a nice place for a house and, and a little fence. Can you build a fence, Adam? Well, I don't know what's a fence. I, I don't know how that went. One day we'll have sons, and, and you know what? If we're lucky, they'll be jealous of each other, and, and one of them will kill the other after we sin, of course, and, and after we get kicked out of the garden. They didn't plan it like that. No, no one plans stuff like that. That's not how sin works. Noah wasn't working in his vineyard one day thinking, I can't wait for these grapes to grow so I can make me a nice batch of hooch and, you know, swill it out and run around naked till I pass out. That, he wasn't planning that. That's not how sin works. He wasn't trying to figure out how he can trick his youngest son into being disrespectful of him so that he can curse him into slavery in the family line. You, you don't start out that way. That's not how sin works. That's not how we work. But because we have free will, we will make stupid decisions and they will have consequences. And you can quote me on that if you want to. I'll say it again so you can put it on Twitter. <laughs> because we have free will, we will make stupid decisions. But you know what? That's what makes this story worth reading and studying and living in story groups. You know, the, the Bible story offers a salvation clue even in the very beginning of this big bang of scandal. Even after Adam and Eve sinned and became aware of their nakedness, they made fig leaf clothing to cover their nakedness. It, God took away the fig leaves and covered Adam and Eve with the skins of animals. And so back at the beginning, we get a glimpse of what your God is willing to do in order that we may be restored to him. You see, for God to restore that vision that human beings are his supreme passion will require the shedding of blood. And right here, we get a spoiler alert to his plan. Because you don't get animal skins without skinning an animal. That's nasty. You see, we get that spoiler alert what else can we find out as we continue exploring God's story? I tell you, I'm excited about what we'll discover in 2015 about ourselves, about God's story revealed in us. You know, from the creation story, though, and from the fall of Adam and Eve, and the wickedness that developed over the land, to the building of the ark, to the flood, even to the point of Noah and his family offering sacrifices to God. We get clues, clue upon clue, another clue from God to us. Even with the story of Ham making fun of his father while Noah was in a drunken state, we discover the value of all human beings. And we discover that God, that our God, the creator of the universe, wants to be with you. Think about that. God wants to personally be with you at great cost to himself. God has done everything possible to get you back because you are that valuable to him. True, lasting self-esteem begins by believing what God says about you and not worrying what other people may think about you. Think about this. It took Noah an extremely long time to build a boat in a place that had no water. He told people what he was doing. And he told them why. You would think, the Bible tells us the world was, was wicked at that point. 
You think his neighbors and the wicked people around him were encouraging him and helping him build the ark? Not at all. Not at all. Do you think it mattered to Noah whether they were helping or not? Not half as much as doing what God called him to do. As we come to our response time today, I want you to think about that. You see, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you or about what you're doing for God. It doesn't matter. It matters that God thinks you are worth something. Noah, you are worth him giving you the plans for the ark that will save you and your family. Oh yeah, you, you may have to do a little work. It took a while. You'll have to read the plan. You'll have to believe it. You'll have to believe that it's the best plan out there. You'll have to understand that even though God's plan may be different from your plan, Noah, it's still a good plan. And you have that plan right in your hand. Just to be clear right now, when I say that that you're worth something to God, you are worth Him sending His Son to die on the cross to save you from your sins. If you're wondering how you should respond to that knowledge... Maybe for you, baptism is the first step. Making a public confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and accepting Him as your Lord and Savior. I mean, maybe you're already a Christian, and maybe it's time for you to just step up the accountability in your life and to begin to see what God is calling you to do as you live out your story with His story. Hey, present day Noah, maybe it's time for you to stop allowing the product of your labor to get the best of you. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you or talk with you about those things or help you set up some accountability systems in your life. Maybe you want to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church and and become a part of a congregation that isn't just going to go through the motions as we read out God's story this year, but we're going to be committed to living it out, not just in this building, but in our community, in our jobs, in our schools. Now's the time to respond to the simple fact that our God has been pursuing you. Are you ready to embrace Him no matter what that looks like for you? Will you stand and sing with us and and make a commitment today to live out God's story in your life in 2015, no matter what else, no matter what anyone else chooses to do? Amen. It's been great to worship with you all today, but now it's time to go. And as you go this week, remember this. Words are powerful. Human words are powerful. Powerful to tear down, to build up. But God's words, God's words are infinitely more powerful. God said, and things happened. Where nothing had been, there was something. And as we go through the story this year, you'll get to see and consider what words God has spoken over you. Words like chosen, loved, provided for, protected, child. Remember as you go today that what God speaks happens. So go and live in the reality of what he says about you. And let the creative power of God's words Recreate you in Christ's image. Don't just read the story this week. Live it. Have a great week.